Welcome! You're listening to audio of Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. At ICC, we are being transformed by Jesus to impact our world. Wherever you are as you listen today, we want you to know that we love and appreciate you. We're so glad you're here. We hope today's message will help you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thanks again for joining us. Welcome. It's great to be here. My name is Mark Morris, and I am a professor at, the, at Union University's Memphis College of Urban Theological Studies. Uh, I teach missions and world religions and cross-cultural studies. And, and, uh, but really, if you ask who I am, I'm really a, a missionary. In 1983, my wife and I... We, uh, we were college students at the great University of Arkansas. Any Razorbacks in here? Yeah, all right, go Hogs. Uh, we were uh, college students. We had been high school sweethearts from here in Memphis as well. And, and um, yeah, we, we, we went to a conference and we, we had this, each of us separately, though we were dating and we were talking and and, and listening to God about what he's doing in the world, we both had this sense that, that God wanted us to be about his mission to the, to the peoples and places that were hardest to reach. And so, um, so we, we said yes. And we each found ourselves bo- both uh, kind of separately going and saying, Lord, we'll go where and do whatever you, you want to do. And I remember that that the 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 message that day was from an old uh, an old retired missionary and he said in light of the pressing needs in the world today we can no longer ask why should i go why should i be a part of god's mission and of course he described some events that are as horrendous as a lot of the events we see going on today and he said in light of all these things You can't just ask, why should I go? You need to ask, why shouldn't I be a part of what God is doing to make his name known among the most uh, oppressed and uh, the most persecuted and and the peoples that don't have access to the gospel? And and we both found our saying, of course we can't say no. And, And it wasn't that we saw a cloud of of, you know, in the sky, in the shape of Africa, or in the shape of India, or Afghanistan, or we, you know, we, but we just, this is what Christians do. This is what happens when you love Jesus. And I didn't know how to express that, but we just said yes. Now, God had been building that uh, in our lives over the years, but, but yeah. And last week, and, and also I need to tell you that, that I work we, a few years ago, uh, we heard about Afghans coming to Memphis. And my wife and I had, since 1988, been involved with Afghans. We moved to, we'd been missionaries in, in South Africa doing church planting among Portuguese-speaking people from about 1983. And then we came back. I was at a church planters conference. And, and uh, I was, we, were, we were trying to learn from uh, this, this mission researcher named David Garrison, who had, I'd, go, I'd gone to, to seminary with. We were buddies. And, and uh, we heard about this ethnic group in in Mozambique called Makua and we were trying to work among them and he said those are unreached people groups and I said what's an unreached people group and he began to describe these people that don't have access to the gospel they don't have scripture in their language they they're from they're in a place where there's war they're in a place where where you know it's just very different they speak a, a, a small language and a larger uh, a lar- larger a group of ethnic groups that are diverse and 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 it's just it's there's civil war there too by the way and it's hard to get there but they're an unreached people group and uh, I said well that's what we thought we were going to do is that's what we said yes to was go work among those that don't have a chance to hear and so then we just totally opened ourselves up to the the 
the unreached world and we found ourselves moving to Pakistan because we couldn't get into Afghanistan at the time. It was in the middle of civil war and there was, the Soviets had invaded and it was, there was a Soviet-backed regime in power and, and there were freedom fighters and Mujahideen, Islamic fundamentalists. And it just was a difficult place. It, I mean, you know, there were unreached people groups there. And that's what we went to, to be a part of and we got as close as we could. God has a global vision in mind. And, and about six or seven years ago, we formed a little group called Refugee Memphis, and some of the Refugee Memphis is here. And raise your hand if you're part of the Refugee Memphis team. Uh, Latif also. Uh, Latif, stand up if you would. Latif is the pastor of an Afghan church here in Memphis. Isn't that amazing? Praise the Lord. And... And Darla, would you stand? Darla is the, the, the director of our Refugee Memphis work. She oversees all the ministry and all the, the resettlement of refugees. And, and Benafsha and Atifa, if you would stand. These, these are Afghan Christians who are a part of our team that each have amazing stories. And, through, and, and, and really, they should be here telling you what God has done in their lives. Because they, they were unreached peoples. And God reached them with the gospel through some amazing circumstances. Latif heard the gospel on his sixth pilgrimage to Mecca. Can you believe that? And it wasn't, a, it wasn't an American missionary that shared Christ. It was a Syrian who had also been to Mecca on his pilgrimage to to do what all good Muslims do, to go on the Hajj. And he had had a vision and, and he began searching the scripture and, and he stopped this busload of Hajis, people that are going to, on the pilgrimage, uh, as they were dra- driving from, from Mecca to Medina, where, is, where Muhammad was buried. And so, and he stopped them and he pulled this, this uh, Hazara Afghan young man uh, out of, you know, and, and aside and said, uh, I have something very important I want to tell you. And he shared the gospel and he gave him his first Bible. And that began the journey for Latif. And each of them has such a, a beautiful story like that. But last week, you did a, how many of you were here last week? Okay. Or saw the video, saw the lesson. Let me just congratulate you. You went through about 24 hours of a seminary course. Uh, good job, good job. Today, get out your pens and papers. We're gonna take your midterm exam. All right. I mean, you covered what, what I take two, uh, no, four, four hour lectures to cover. So, so really, you should have all the answers. And then really, there's nothing for us to do today, but just sort of apply what you, what you learned from God's word. Because you got a glimpse of God's global vision uh, that all peoples would worship him and gather around his throne. And, and, and he's been doing this from the beginning of time, even before the beginning of what we know as time. This has been on his heart, that all the peoples of the earth would, would praise him. That all the peoples would praise him. And so you've done that. Let's just say you've passed the test. You're ready for the next step. And that's when we get to to God's global strategy. How does he go about this? And and so we're going to look today in 1 Peter 2 and 1 Peter 4. And we're going to just see a little bit. I'm not going to try to do a whole another half of semester of college Bible uh, missions class for you today. We're just going to get a glimpse of it. Let's just get a glimpse of, of from First Peter about the, the way that he's going to do that. And what, we, what we're going to look at is that Jesus is the living stone and then he makes us into his little living stones And he gathers us together, him the cornerstone, us the living stones, and he builds this spiritual house of ministry, and he sends us to all peoples, everywhere. So we're going to look at 1 Peter 2, 
and uh, verses three to five, and then 1 Peter 4, 7, 11, as we do that. Now, on August 14th, I was leading a church retreat. The Afghans, these folks that are here, and some of the English-speaking folks that, that are a part of our, our team and are uh, one of the English-speaking churches that I'm a part of. And we were, yeah, we were just praying and having a retreat. And all of a sudden, these folks started getting text messages from their family members in Afghanistan, their friends, their, co- their co- co-laborers in Afghanistan. And yeah, the Taliban are taking over. Uh, the Taliban, you know, the Taliban have come to my, my house. And then six different families had gathered together in one home and they were, they, they didn't know what to do because their neighbors called them and said, the Taliban are at your door. And now these 23 people that were, that were in this one house, they had registered as Christians in Afghanistan. God had moved them and they, they felt like we want there to be a day in which our children and grandchildren will say there was a church in Afghanistan and we're willing to risk our lives. And they did that shortly thereafter the Taliban takeover. Wow. And so you have to, you have to ask God, what are you doing? What is your plan? Uh, well, today we're going to walk through 1 Peter, this passage that was written to a people like the Afghan Christians. It was a time in which the church was scattered. It was a time in which the church was frightened and they didn't know where to go and what to do. There was oppression all around. And, and Peter writes this letter with instructions. And, and in those instructions, we get some guidance about, about, you know, what is the purpose? What are some things you need to be careful about? And what are some things you need to do? And so we're going we're gonna to delve into that. First, let me just also take a minute and say, here's what Refugee Memphis does. If you go to the next slide. Right now, we're in the process of resettling 100 Afghan refugees by the summer of 22. Now, our team is saying, by the summer of 22? By this summer? Yeah, because there's like 70 or 80,000 Afghans on their way to America. Did you hear that? About 70 or 80,000. And so in partnership with Samaritan's Purse, uh, we have said, okay, we don't know how, but, but we're, we're going to take 100. And, uh, and then after those 100 are settled, we'll see if we still have anything left in us and we'll take 100 more, you know. Uh, right, Darla? Yeah, okay. But because, why? Because these people are, are stuck in camps. It's been a, uh, uh, Atifa's family, uh, they arrived in Memphis. Uh, a f- how, how many months ago? One month? Two months? Three months ago? When they arrived, uh, one, of, one uh, American that was welcomed them and said, how long was your journey? They thought they were going to get an answer like, uh, you know, 24 hours, but it was like three months. What? A three-month journey from Afghanistan? to That's what it's been. So these people are still on their journey trying to find their way to safety. So when I learn about these kinds of of troubling times, I can't help but turn to Acts 17. In fact, it it makes me hopeless. God, what are you doing? Why are there earthquakes? Why are there famines? Why are there countries that are falling and people are, are, are... just in camps for 9, 10, 12 years with, with just in the most dire circumstances. Well, he gives us a picture of the global reality in Acts 17, 26 to 27. Here's what he says. From one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he, not people, he marked out the appointed times in history and the boundaries of the their land. You know, in the Afghan and in, 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 back in, 
when India and Pakistan was divided, there was a line drawn by a bunch of people. They didn't, they didn't mark out the boundary. God marked out the boundaries. It wasn't the, the, the cartographers and the, and the political powers and leaders. It's really God that orchestrated these boundaries, marked them, them out. Why? Why is he allowing this disaster to happen among the Afghans? He did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he's not far from any. If that gives me hope, in times like this, it gives me hope. God, you know what you're doing, don't you? On January 26th, Sid Mazel, a friend of mine, was abducted in Afghanistan. Now, Sid, when back and during, you know, prior to that, I was working for the International Mission Board and I was overseeing the work of the IMB in Central and Southern Asia. So I was in Pakistan and then later in Singapore and Sid was my assistant in Richmond, Virginia. So she was a, a, an executive assistant, worked in an office. She kept us with money and with materials and with people to join our teams. And she was, but, but Sid loved Jesus. She just was in love with Jesus so much. She led worship. She was a part of a worship team in her church. And, and then as she heard us talking about Afghans, she, she, she just had this burden for Afghans. And then she realized that the, the Pashtun people, many of whom are Taliban today, the Pashtun people were just so hard to reach and so, so challenging. And, and there were so many of them. And she just said, I've got to be a part of reaching Pashtun people. And so she, I said, well, Sid, you need to find some in Richmond, Virginia. And so she found some Pashtun families. She poured her life into theirs. And then later she said, you know, that's not enough. And before long, she moves to Afghanistan. I say, Sid, you know, Kabul, Afghanistan is a, is a really good place for a single lady to live and work. And, you know, no, 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 the Lord's calling me to Kandahar. Kandahar. That, one of the headquarters of the Taliban. We, we can't keep missionaries there. We can't keep business people there. It's really not a safe place for a single woman to go. I have to go. And she went. So January 26, 2008, how many years ago is that? Somebody do the math. 14 years. She's still missing. She's still missing. Why? Why would you do that, Sid? Why would people risk everything to go serve a people that seem like they don't want to hear? Why? Because Sid fell in love with Jesus. And she believed this gospel was true. And she knew that the Pashtun people, they needed to hear so she went. You know, that's what Jesus did. He came, First John, John, the book of John. John tells us, he came and he dwelt among us and he poured himself out as a drink offering for us. That's what she did. 31 years ago, I was living in Pakistan, my three daughters and my wife, and, and we had been praying for the Hazara people and other Afghan people uh, for about a year and a half trying to find ways to get into to the mountains of Afghanistan where the Hazara people come from and and we just you know we just couldn't I couldn't find a way and um, yeah so we just prayed we kept praying and I kept going and learning and we were serving among the Afghans uh, there in Islamabad Pakistan where we we're living but one day, an, an Afghan man came to my home, a Hazara man that was his, his, his grandfather had been the governor of the, the, one of the leaders of the Sultan of Jogadi, uh, an area, a province, and a, uh, an area in central Afghanistan. And he said, Mr. Mark, I understand you love my people. Come with me in 10 days. We've been praying for a year and a half. These, this is what it's like to work among unreached people groups. 
You have to pray a year and a half to get there. It's hard to get a visa. So I said, come back tomorrow. I'll, my wife and I'll pray. We got on our knees. We prayed. My wife would be here today, but she's, uh, she, Cindy is undergoing cancer treatment and she's immunocompromised and not feeling well so she's so sad she couldn't be here but we we knelt on our uh, by on our by our couch and we prayed and we said lord what do you want us to do and and we immediately knew the lord wanted us to go wanted me to go and so what did i do i wrote my last letter to my family to my girls and i didn't know if i'd ever see them and so i i went to this border town with these Afghans, you know, most of them were not Christians. One was maybe a Christian. And uh, the first thing we do is we go to this border town. We go to this area in Quetta, Pakistan, and we're in this bazaar, this marketplace. And I see these men with stacks of money on a, a you know, on a, a pedestal like this and others with guns. And, and I'm standing there and, and then my friend goes off and he talks to one of us. And he comes back to me and says, Mr. Mark, give me all your money. What? <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, this is the end of my trip. No, 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 give me all your money. I said, well, I don't want to give you all my money. Well, it's not safe for you to have money in Afghanistan, so give me all your money. I said, okay, Lord, I trust you. You know, I got all that. I had hidden money in all sorts of places, and I got it out, and I, and I, I gave it to him. He came back with a little scrap of paper. He said, here, when we get to my village, give this money to Muhammad and he'll give you your money. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's an Afghan check. That's what it's like to work among unreached peoples. Uh, it was all strange and foreign and, 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 and it's risky. Why do we do that? Because we love Jesus and we believe that he is good. Let's turn to 1 Peter 2, 3 to 5. First of all, open the word. If indeed, here's what Peter writes, the church that's persecuted. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. That's what Sid did. That's what you and I have done. We've tasted. He is good. Yes, it's true. As you come to him, a living stone rejected, we're talking about Jesus now, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, he's talking to us, he's talking to the persecuted church, he's talking to the Afghan church, he's talking to island community church. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up gathered together as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So here we have the big picture of what God, this is his strategy. He's gonna use us. We've got the global vision that all peoples would praise him. Here we have the global strategy that, that those who have tasted it will be made into living stones, will be gathered together with other living stones, will be built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and we will make spiritual sacrifices to God through Jesus Christ. Let's go to 1 Peter 4, 7. So how does that happen? Peter reminds the church, the end is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. There's an urgency. The end is coming. People are dying. Tragedy, tragedy is occurring. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled. Wait a minute. This is not the advice I would give. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. No, I would, do, I, would, I would do it the other way. I'd say, the end of all things is, is at hand. Therefore pray. But what a strange piece of advice. Therefore be sober-minded, be self-controlled. For the sake of your prayers. Isn't that interesting? Wow. We tend to think that God wants us to pray so that everything will be okay. So that we will be sober-minded. That we'll be sober, maybe. <laughs> that we will be self-controlled. But he, he says, there's this connection between godly living, between obedience-based discipleship, between 
saying yes to Jesus and following Jesus and, and even though I'm drawn to the world and the things that the world wants me to do, saying no to that and yes to Jesus, somehow there's this connection between my obedience and the effectiveness of my prayers. So be self-controlled, be sober-minded for the sake of your pr prayers. So that's, we'll, we'll, we'll break that down. That's sort of one of the first things we see. And then you see this advice, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another. Hospitality, this is God's plan, hospitality. Interesting. So I should invite my neighbors over. That's God's big plan. Surely he has a better plan than that. Hospitality. And do it without grumbling. We Americans, when we do hospitality, we're not really happy about it, right? We grumble. Well, as each has received, verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Do you know what your spiritual gift is? Are you using it? These are your spiritual gifts. Maybe you have, maybe we're not just limited to one. Maybe we're supposed to be developing uh, a multitude of gifts, but certainly we're supposed to at least be using one. And what, why do, how do we use it? We use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. God just, didn't just give us this gift to waste, but to use it. And so it's really not ours, it's his that he's given to us. He's stewarded to us. And so we need to, to guard it and treasure it and, and use it well. In verse 11, whoever speaks, Speak as one who speaks oracles of God. Do you realize when you, when, you, when, you, when you show hospitality, you show love, you serve using your gift to the, to the Afghan family that you guys have adopted this past week who arrived, that, that, that then part of, when you open your mouth and speak the word of God, you are like an angel. You're like a messenger of God. You have a godly message. You have a message that's come from heaven to give to these Afghans, to give to these Syrians, to give to your neighbor who's a Memphian, to give to, you know, you are a messenger of God. So speak as one who speaks an or as, as who speaks oracles of God. And then whoever serves, Serve as one who serves by the strength that God gives. That God supplies. Why? In order that everything, that, that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. That gets back to the global vision that we talked about last week. It's about God's glory. Right? All right, so let's move forward. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him a living stone. This is where it starts. Everything that we're talking about today is in the shadow of the cross and the resurrected Lord. You, because you have been saved, because you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a living stone. You've tasted him, and he is good. You see, we believe the gospel is true. No offense to our brothers and sisters from other religions, from other faith systems, but the Bible tells us, and we've learned through our own relationship with God, there's no other way. And, and, and we, you, you learned last week from the Old Testament and the New Testament that this is God's plan. We've seen how the prophets of old told that Jesus would come in the time and in the way that he did. And we saw the signs of his, his, of his glory as he dwelt among us. We believe it's true. And so we have to tell it. But there's a problem. There are barriers. There are unreached people groups. There are places that are hard to get to like we described in Afghanistan. And I apologize for talking so much about Afghanistan, but that's the world that, that is before us now and it's the world that I know well. And, and you, know, you notice that it took me a year and a half to actually get to go inside Afghanistan. 
Access was a problem. I couldn't get in. I didn't have a, a, a passport that said, go into Afghanistan. In fact, all I had was a letter from two or three warlords who said, you can pass through my village. I didn't have, there was no visa that let me go into Afghanistan. But fortunately, I went and we talked to some warlords that said, yes, you can. And one of those warlords later tried to take me hostage. But, but I, you know, I didn't have access. And then I didn't have the language. I didn't have the culture. We have to work at the language and culture. We have to cross these barriers. And then one of the biggest barriers is that the, the church is apathetic. The church doesn't want to get involved. The church doesn't care. It's too much trouble. We got enough needs here. Why would I go all the way over there? Why, you know, surely the Lord wants us to stay safe. He wants us to use our minds. And, and logically, we shouldn't risk ourselves. You know, God wants us to be wise. I mean, what happened to our family and children? I wrote my last letter. I didn't know if I'd see my family again. And another barrier is persecution and opposition. So, so when Latif received Jesus, People started trying to kill him. In fact, before he ever received Jesus, just because he had a Bible and he was comparing the Quran and the Bible, he was taken before the mosque and he was, he was accused of being a Christian and he wasn't and they beat him and they left him for dead and he woke up hours later in the, the, the police office and, and he said, I'm a Muslim. Why are you doing this? It was just because he was seeking to know the truth. That's persecution. And, and, and yesterday, or two days ago, I received word that two brothers, two Christian brothers that had been imprisoned by the Taliban were just released uh, in the north. But there are many others that are still there that are not released. And they've gone missing. Persecution opposition. On the right you see a, a, a poll, a, a survey that came out or information that came out from Christianity Today yesterday. I saw it. Uh, the top 10 most difficult places in the world to live as a Christian. It used to be North Korea. Well, since the Taliban took over, Afghanistan went to the top of the list. North Korea second, Somalia third, Libya, Yemen, Eritrea, Nigeria, Pakistan, Iran, and India. This is a barrier. This makes it difficult. So we have to make choices. So I had to make a choice. Sid had to make a choice. And we said, this is worth it. And we'll go. But, but here's the way we tend to think as Americans. It costs too much to go to Pakistan. Let's go to Panama. They both start with P, right? It's the world. Or what percentage of our church budget goes to Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and ends of the earth? Do we divide? You know, if Jesus were planning our church budget, how would he, how would he partition it down? What about my budget? How much money do I spend on serving the lost, trying to share with people who don't know Jesus? What percentage of my time? Well, it's just too scary to go to Kabul. Yeah, these are, these are those. But then we also have, have these global opportunities like what's happened in Afghanistan. All of a sudden, everybody's coming from Afghanistan. Not everybody, a small percentage. You still got millions in Afghanistan that need to hear Jesus and maybe 80,000 will come to America. So this is, this is a global opportunity. Uh, Famine, that's a global need and a global opportunity. People are moving from the rural areas to the cities in India. And so, you know, we have to get, China, the doors have just been closed to, to missionaries. We have to get creative and find other ways. Move to other countries where, where Uyghurs are living and serve among them. And, 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 and then we need to be realizing that the, the, the unreached world is coming to Memphis. How do we get global in our own city? And, and, and we need to look at who's neglected, who's not being reached, who is, who is starving. There's a place over on Sycamore View called, people call it Zombie Land, where there's so many um, homeless people and people that are on drugs that, that people are just wandering around asking for money. 
And, and then they're, they're, on Friday night, there's a group of Christian and non-Christian groups do a needle exchange. And, uh, they're, and they're trying to help these people not only get clean needles, but get help. Who is neglected? And then another question is, who's ready to hear? That's a big part of the question. So let's go back to 1 Peter 4 and let's learn some lessons. First lesson of this is this. Let's pray. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So what we're doing now is we're turning from this big vision. God's got this plan. Now, how do we flesh it out? Because you, you, you're practical people. You want to know, how do I do this, right? Well, this is what we do from 1 Peter. This is the advice to the persecuted church. Let's pray, but let's pray in the right way. Let's prepare to pray. Let's be self-controlled. Let's live a life that's pleasing to the Lord. And let's say no to things that perhaps will distract us from prayer. And let's say yes, so that we'll live in a way that we will actually dedicate ourselves to prayer. And remember that you're doing everything. All of this is in the shadow of the cross and the reality that he is good. We've tasted him. Therefore, let's live godly lives so that we can pray. The next piece of advice. Love one another. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. I remember... Um, there was an older man that came to Pakistan when we lived there, and uh, he didn't learn the language. He made lots of cultural mistakes. I remember one day we were, had, there was, we were in a house with him, and there, there was some Afghan women that were all completely covered, and he bent down, and he grabbed one of their skirts, and he was saying, wow, this is a beautiful dress. Did you make this? And everybody was panicking because men are not supposed to touch women in their clothes. And it was just, you know, he did everything wrong. But you know what? God used them to lead people to Jesus because they knew that he loved them. Love covers up so many of our mistakes. And another thing we have to remember is that we're a team. We're part of the body of her. We're part of this living, this house. And so one of the things we started doing a few years ago, a missionary encouraged us to do this. He said, stop thinking about reaching this Afghan and you reaching that Afghan and me reaching that, that Syrian. And you say, no, no, no. It's not your job, Robbie. It's our job. And so when, Robbie, when you have a chance to see, to, to, to give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, we're all going to say, that's plus one for the gospel. Amen. Let's celebrate. And, you know, when you get to share the, 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 a story from the Old Testament uh, about God's, about the, you know, the story of Abraham and Isaac and, and, and we, we get to see, you know, this person got another little piece of the, of the story. Let's celebrate, plus one. So it's not just your response, it's ours. It's what God has given us. So if we're going to speak, then we got to prepare to speak, Right? Verse 10, but in your hearts, honor Christ, the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense. So that means we got to be ready. You know, people don't expect you to know about Islam or Hinduism or Buddhism, though it's good to learn to be prepared, but they expect you to know the Bible. They expect you to be ready to tell. So what do we do? We use a little tool, uh, learning the stories of the Bible, it's Bible telling, Org, a website, BibleTelling.org or BT Stories. Use whatever tools you can, but learn the stories. These stories are just little four and a half minute stories and it helps us to review in our minds and our hearts to get the stories right so we can tell them. So be ready to tell the stories. And then another piece of advice we get from First Peter is practice hospitality. Now, show hospitality without grumbling. Central Asians do this so much better than, than us, but we're still responsible to do it. It's such an amazing thing when you show up at someone's door. One of the, one of the uh, Memphians that came to Atifa's family's home had a meal with them just before Easter, I think. Uh, they didn't plan to go have a meal, but, but they went to their home just to... to Sorry, just before Christmas, not Easter, just before Christmas, to give them Christmas greetings as they were on their way to their Christmas Eve service. And, and, and 
while they were there, the family said, Atifa's family said, come have dinner with us afterwards. They were shocked. They said, okay, well, we'll come. And, and so part of hospitality is receiving hospitality. And then some, one of her, her, her sister, Atifa's sister that was here from California, her husband said, you know, this is the first, and they've been here many years in California, said, this is the first time we have actually had a meal with an American. Wow, they've been here several years. It's amazing how hospitality opens doors. Next piece of advice we get from 1 Peter is use your various gifts. Now this is some of our team members just hanging out. That's what we do. We hang out using our gifts. You've got to spend time with people that don't know Jesus. You've got to spend time with this Afghan family that you are sponsoring that is in an apartment not here, far from here. And, and, and use your gifts. And how do you, what do you do with those gifts? You serve them. You serve the peoples. That's what Jesus did. He came and he dwelt among us. And obviously, since you've been praying and you've been preparing to speak and you've been practicing your, your, the use of your gifts and practicing sharing the word and you're serving the people, then you have the opportunity to speak the word. But we do so as we listen to the Spirit of God. And we've got to remember, it's neither he who plants or he who waters is anything. It's, it's God who gives the growth. So, so my responsibility is not to see a hundred people get saved. My responsibility is speak the word, empowered by the Spirit of God, led by the Spirit of God. And it's not about me who plants or me, it's someone else who, who uh, brings in the harvest. It, it, it's God who does this. And then we see in 1 Peter 4, 11 that whoever speaks, I'm a messenger of God. I have this treasure and I'm to share it and so are you. So what does this house look like? How do living stones become a house of mission and ministry? Well, let's just kind of break it down. And I've drawn a very poor picture of a, of a house. And let's just, what's the blueprint for this house? Well, from 1 Peter 4. We do everything, as I mentioned before, just summing up the lessons, do everything in shadow of the, of the cross and the resurrected Lord and the fact that it's good. We've tasted it. He is good. We love him. We grow in our love for Jesus. We worship him. That's what we do before we got started. As we got started, it was all about worshiping him because we love him and we believe him. We're Christ-like so that our prayers will be effective. And so they'll be consistent, right? Because we're not very good at taking the time to pray. And they remember the priority of love and we learn and we practice hospitality with joy and we speak the gospel empowered and guided by the Spirit. So let's, let's, let's flesh out this house. Let's look at, we'll take those, that blueprint, lay it on this picture of the house. And here we have these components of ministries, uh, of ministry. It's built on this foundation of prayer. Here's one of the, the, the pillars. It, it's hospitality, right? We practice. It's a tool that he, it's part of his plan. It's one of his methods that he gave us. Practice hospitality. Serve using your various gifts. Tell people. Share the word. And do it with a covering of love. Covered by the grace of God. Love covers a multitude of sins. And, and we see the, the fruit of discipleship, the fruit of salvation, the fruit of church planting. And, 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 and so if we flesh that out with our refugee friends that have just come. What can you do with this family that just came? What can you do with these hundred that are coming? Be a neighbor. Be a neighbor. Go meet them. And to do that, you've got to go have lots of cups of tea. You may not like, like hot tea, but learn to like hot tea. One of our early team members, Kimberly, uh, when she moved into the refugee community, uh, one of the first things she said was, I don't like tea, I'm not going to drink tea. She learned to drink tea. And the Afghan people, the Syrian people, the, the, the North African people, they love her. They loved her. And now she and her husband have gone to serve among one of those unreached people groups. Drink lots of cups of tea. Spend time. That doesn't happen quickly. 
Listen more than you speak. Ask them their stories. Their stories are amazing. But don't do like I do. I ask too many questions. Because I'm an American, I want answers. You know, and then I want to solve their problems. But just as you build trust, if you have lots of tea over about the 10th cup of tea, then, then see if they want to tell you their stories. And just listen. It's not about you. Listen. And you know what you'll find is they mention something. There's a story from the Bible that really relates to that. You've practiced your stories. You know the stories. You know the Word of God. You're ready to, to share. It takes time. It means that we have, to, we have to, to, to be willing to adapt our schedule. Yeah. I mean, don't plan on doing five-minute visits. You know, we live by, by this. We live by the clock. They live by relationships. Time doesn't matter. You know, block out an hour rather than five minutes to go visit your Afghan friends, or your refugee friends, your international friends. Invitations. Yeah, there's cultural hints for how you deal with invitations. Just because they offer you something doesn't mean you're supposed to say yes. You're supposed to say refuse three times. And if they, real, if they continue to offer, then you say yes. But you always refuse. That's just, a, that's just Afghan culture. We have, to, we, have to, we have to get our minds in gear with their way of doing invitations. And, and one of the things that Afghans will say, oh, just spend the night. They don't really mean it if they ask you. And they may say, come have a meal with me. You're supposed to say no at first. If they say, no, really, come have a meal with me. Well, are you really? That's too much trouble. No, really, we want you to come have a meal. So, okay, you know, that's their culture. So we, we, we're supposed to cross cultures, we're supposed to adapt to their ways, learn how to be hospitable in their way. And then also, here's, we have to, you know, every culture is different. In the Afghan culture, gender issues are really important. Many Afghan uh, men and women have been exposed to Westerners. They've been working for soldiers, for example, translating for soldiers. And just because they've been translating for soldiers doesn't mean they've necessarily, uh, that what, yeah, they, they may just, they may use language that only soldiers use because they've been taught by soldiers. Uh, but, but men relate to men and women relate to women. That's just the way it's done. And it's not your job, it's not my job to convince them, in America, it's the land of the free. You shouldn't do that. No, no, no. It's, I mean, it's our job to change their culture. It's our job to, to help them come to the kingdom of God. Yeah. But trust comes with time. And as you invest in men, men, and as women, you invest in women. You know, this, is, this is how we flesh this out. And then, and then morality issues in their culture are really important. Expect that Afghans are very conservative uh, and that they consider us all immoral because they watch our television and they assume that's the way all Christians are because all Americans are Christians. You know that, don't you? Yeah. And so, but doing little things like saying, you know, I'm an American, I'm a follower of Jesus. You know, we, we like to pray beforehand. I know y'all pray after the meal, but do you mind if I say a prayer in Jesus' name and they pray? And they won't say no, but pray. And then, you know, one of the things they told me when we lived in Pakistan, before we left, they said, you know, the most important thing you did, you told stories from the Bible when you came and visited our home, and then you prayed out loud in front of us, and we talked about your prayers for days. Your prayer may be your best witness. Go to their home and ask them, can I say a prayer for you? It's what we do as Christians. And then dress modestly. I know we don't like this, but... Many people in Muslim cultures are offended if you show your arms, ladies. Sorry, it's not my rules, it's theirs, you know? And, and, and you know, so, but adapt, be willing to adapt across their cultures with the gospel. But at the same time, we don't want to create dependency. We don't want them to be dependent upon island community. We want them to learn to solve their own problems and find solutions. Uh, another hint this is this, food. Food is everything for many people in many cultures, and, and they don't eat pig, as they would say. 
adapt to their culture. You know, sharing a meal. One of my Afghan friends said, you know, we don't make any important decisions without food. You know, you, you, know, you, you don't talk about anything important without food. And then finally, Christian witness. How do we do that? We share not only the gospel, but our own lives. That's what Sid did. That's what Sid did. That's what you and I are do, is pour out our lives. Go to the last slide. This is where we'll close. Acts 17 tells us what God is up to. This is how he's living out, he's fleshing out this global vision that is being poured out through this global strategy and he's chosen his global church to be God's instruments in this situation, this environment in which we live. Remember, from one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole earth and he marked out their appointed times and histories and boundaries and their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and find him. He's not far from any one of us. So what is your part in that? What is your part? As we go to the Lord in prayer, let's listen to God and let's place our yes to whatever he wants on his table of offering. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus Christ. We love you. We thank you that you first loved us. We thank you that you showed us how you want us to be living stones. That you want us to be a team, a, a house of ministry and God's mission. And your intent is that, that we not do it all on our own, but that we do this together as your family. God, show us how we are to respond today to what you're doing in the world and in Memphis. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us for today's Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis. We want to encourage you to join us in person for worship soon. No podcast can ever replace the good design of God in gathering in person with other believers for worship in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with ICC, you can visit us at iccmemphis.com. As we close, we offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Thanks again for joining us.